Hello. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi. Welcome. This is a weirdest thing. I am your host, Amelia Ampuero. Scotty is not with us today. And in his stead, we have the amazing Elizabeth Dwyer. Hi. Hi. How are how you? Are you? <laughs> no, how, how are, are you? you? <laughs> uh, I'm good. Of course, trying not to melt from the insane heat that is Albuquerque right now. It's bananas. It's bananas. I- ran one errand with my child earlier and she was like, mom, can we please go home? Yeah. It is too hot no. to be doing anything outside. Yeah. Everybody needs to understand that productivity is down to like 5% in this kind of heat. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Don't ask me. Don't ask me no. for like reports or emails. I'll get that to you in September. <laughs> yeah. If I get out of bed, you're welcome. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining us today. You want to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do? Thank you for having me. Yay. I am a screenwriter predominantly. Yes. And I also dabble in theater writing. Yeah. I wrote my first play last year, as you know, which yep. your theater company produced. It was great. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have my MFA in screenwriting from Stevens, Col- Stevens College, which is the second oldest women's university in the country. Um, Does it remain a women's university? It's like a women's plus, you know, uh-huh. it's like um, we have there's the more expansive uh, admissions policy at this point. So Beautiful. folks who are outside the gender binary, mm-hmm. gender expansive folks, um, folks who are trans etc. Uh, but predominantly women's. So nice. yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm a, mostly a writer. I write all the things. I write Beautiful. all the things, especially Beautiful. haiku haiku lately. I've been really, really, <laughs> yes. you're, you're, haiku. you're coming into your haiku phase, <laughs> your haiku era. I am in my haiku era. It's been really fun. Yay. <laughs> um, well, again, thanks so much for joining us today. Like I said, Scotty is in absentia. <laughs> yeah, but I almost said beleaguered and I don't know why. <laughs> Scotty, are you beleaguered? Are you yes. okay? <laughs> yes. Uh, but he is not with us today. And Elizabeth is stepping in and uh we're gonna do a little a little movie discussion today. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna talk about the seminal films striptease. Uh, starring Demi Moore and Hustlers, starring so many incredible people. So many incredible people. I definitely J Lo got the biggest buzz for that one. Yes, yes, and- as is as is correct because she really did bring it for this one. Do we want to? Yes, let's sort of start with you know what? Let's start with a little synopsis of each okay. film in mm-hmm. case anybody doesn't remember. We'll start with striptease. Yeah. <laughs> that chronological order. All right, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, tell us, tell us what the movie striptease <laughs> is about. Well, hilariously, I did not know this until the rewatch of um in preparation for this conversation. Yes. Striptease is billed as a dark comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah, which was a, a interesting discovery. Yeah. And <laughs> The yeah. dark comedy about a you know it's unavoidable it's a stripper with a heart of gold story yep. like we just can't get away from the truth of that Demi Moore 
who was paid $12.5 million to make this movie, by the yeah. way, the highest paid actress of all time at the mo- at that point, yeah. um, stars as Aaron Grant, which I just, I know we're going to get to the actual movie, but I, it's hilarious to me that she's on stage as a dancer going by Aaron Grant. Aaron Grant. Yeah. <laughs> like anybody uses anything resembling their actual name in that line of work. I, I mean, know, maybe they do. First and last, like it's just uh, so fascinating. Erin Grant, her social security (laughs) number is (laughs) just amazing. So Erin Grant is a very talented stripper. Uh, That is how she's presented to us. Yes. And um, she's a little, you know, eclectic. She dances to Annie Lennox a lot, which is a fascinating creative choice. Right. And she has a seven-year-old daughter, which as someone with an eight-year-old daughter, um, it was all, yeah, I was in the moment of like, oh my God, what if my child's dad was this kind of a nightmare of a human? Yeah. Cause he, yeah, her child's father is awful. (laughs) I mean, it's so interesting. I, because there's like this, um, you don't get a lot of backstory in either of these movies. I'll go ahead and say, it's not like, Oh, here's how you became a stripper. It's like, we get a little glimpse and then they're just right in it. So all we really know is that he takes pill. He takes pills. He takes pills, takes pills. Uh Um, and he steals wheelchairs so he can then go steal pills from hospitals. Yeah, yeah all- I think I think he steals the wheelchairs to sell them. But uh, it's, I all, it's, it's all it's all vague. It's, it's vague. thin. It's thin. It's, it's pretty thin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, because it's the 90s, a judge is like, I mean, yeah, this guy has been arrested for a bunch of things, but he like helps us on the vice squad. And I yep. knew him as a high school football player. And yep. so because you lost your job, you're an unfit mother, but he's good to raise but he's the kid. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Opens with them in court. Also with Aaron saying, you know, because my husband is such a scumbag, he made me lose yeah. the job, the very respectable mm-hmm. job that I had, which was as a secretary at the secretary FBI. Secretary for the FBI. Cause, but wow, did she pay attention and like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's already, we're off, we're off <laughs> to the races with some pretty uh, question marky oh. type of stuff. Um, question marky and, type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then what ensues is like hijinks mm-hmm. and capers. Hijinks <sighs> with like high stakes though. High stakes. Like Very people, are getting, high stakes. people are getting murdered all over the place. Like it's just, there's a congressman involved. Yes. I realized that the scene I remember the most from this movie is when the congressman slicks himself up in Vaseline. Same, <laughs> same. Like, it's squishing between his toes and the cowboy yep. boots. I was like, "Oh, I this is what." This yeah, is what I have a visceral memory of this of being like, "Whoa, yeah, yeah." Mm-hmm. And it's all like, there's a lot happening. We have mm-hmm. Aaron trying to get her daughter back. We have this con- congressman Dilbert that cannot be. No, Dilbeck. D- Dilbeck. It, yeah, but it was so confusing to me for so long because I was like, "Is his name Dil?" Beck? Is, <laughs> is it Dilbeck? Is it Gil? And I'm miss here. I was all, it was not a great character naming choice because I could, it took a very, I had to see it in writing before I was like, yes, okay, 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it. we have him and he has a, he has a, a habit of going to strip clubs and getting into trouble. You, mm-hmm. he's presented in a way to know that like, he's a freaky guy. So he freaky can't guy. have, yeah. yeah. You know, wants to ha- have all sorts of, you know, like naughty, like unconventional sexual practices, Yeah, which is also hilarious looking at this through like a 2023 lens and being like, the guy likes to lube himself up with Vaseline, like get out of here. That's very, it's very chill. Like every young Republican in the next room or whatever would be like, high five, bro. High five. (laughs) But this, but this was the, but this was the family values era. Yes. So 100% true. Different different time. Amelia and I were both there for that. So we call the family values era and how it, everything was very, um, there was a certain image. Like if you were going to be a Republican politician, which this guy was, you just, you had to project a certain image. You had to show up in this very specific way. And so yes. even Vaseline was <laughs> very yeah. taboo. Yeah. Out, <laughs> out in the outer realms of perversion. Um, <laughs> so we've got Congressman Bill Beck, he likes to go to the strip clubs, likes to get a little freaky. He falls in love with Aaron upon seeing her up on stage. There's also another customer. You're sort of given, like you said, sort of the what's presented is that she's a very talented dancer, that she is mm-hmm. very appealing and attractive, and that mm-hmm. she has a lot of men that are after her. You also, oh, yeah. oh, we should say here, Congressman Dilbeck is played by the one and only Burt Reynolds. Oh, yeah. Like, brilliantly. <laughs> act- I mean, it's... <laughs> Yeah, sans very... mustache, tanned to the gills. To the gills. Gil yes. Dilbeck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then you've got the other guy who's like also interested in her and like clearly one of those people who shows up and just like camps out at the mm-hmm. club mm-hmm. all day waiting for her to go on is apparently independently wealthy because he's there all the time. All the time. All the time. And then you have Ving Rames as Shad, the yes. club security bouncer um, yes. per se, who has yes. also a special interest in Aaron because she's an angel from heaven, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. Very much like, uh, you know, she's dancing in this club where all of these people, you know, like all these women are taking their clothes off, but mm-hmm. she's special. She, it's very mm-hmm. much presented as like, she is not like the other girls. She's doing she's... this out of desperation. Yes. Um, and is so much better than that environment. She's smart. She's too smart really to be there. You know, she's, mm-hmm. yeah, her, her dances are almost like artistic because, yes. because they're, because they're to an Annie Lennox soundtrack, which I really just can't get over. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like what, who yeah. like, you know what? I'm going to go work at the club and bring my and Annie, Len- strip Annie to, Lennox. Like, slow Annie Lennox songs. Bring my Annie Lennox choreography to the forefront. And she does strip, you know, but she has her costumes are more unique. And yes. so, yeah. Um, yeah. And there is plenty of nudity in this movie. Plenty of, of female tatas. nudity. Yeah, yeah. 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 A lot of tatas happening and very mm-hmm. like it does. And there's so many men in this movie that is purportedly it's a purportedly about strippers, but it's yes. There's so many men. Like um, I'm I'm looking at the IMDB page right now, and you have, of mm-hmm. course, Demi Moore at the yeah. top of the cast. Yeah. And then you have to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more 
actors in before you get yeah. to the next female who is Rumor Willis, her daughter, who plays her daughter. Yes. And then you go for another handful of men before you get to the next woman. Right. But this is a movie about motherhood. Yes. <laughs> this is a strong, yeah. empowering movie. Hold on. Let me round out the cast real fast. So we've mm-hmm. got Demi Moore, Burt Reynolds, Armand DeSante it plays Lieutenant Al Garcia. Uh, he comes in because there's a whole, I, I don't even, I don't even know if I can really get into why he's involved like that. Yet, it, and, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a bit of a convoluted plot. <laughs> it, oh yeah. A thousand percent. So he, gets involved because he's on vacation or whatever with his family yeah. somewhere outside of Miami. And the guy who tries to help her, they're, 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 we're just spoiling everything, right? Okay. Yeah. So the guy oh, yeah. who tries Spo- to help spoilers her. about if you, if you, if <laughs> you have not, you haven't you seen were, striptease. And yeah. It's what it came out in 1996 and yeah. we're now in, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you're, you're approaching yeah. like 30 years on the spoilers for this, sorry, so, pause, pause yeah. and go watch. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy, the a guy who's obsessed with her, he tries to offer to help. He gets in over his head and Lieutenant, what's his name, finds the body floating down river, you know, right. which I'm very confused, frankly, about what the hell is the culture of Florida? Because we've got Gil Dilbeck, who, which is just what I'm going to call him from now on, yep, yep, uh, yep, yep. who is like, he's like a country Republican. He's like, he seems like he's from Texas, but he's somehow a congressman in Miami. Yeah. He's, um, he, I feel like he's like that, like Florida, like Florida, you know? Yeah. But he does, he comes across as like arcana American quote unquote cowboy Republican, right? Like he should be in Texas yeah. with his guns. I don't know, but there I think he is. anywhere along the the Gulf of Mexico, I think is appropriate <laughs> for him to be located as a conservative congressman. Perfect. So we've got him, and then we also have the culture of the lieutenant, who is and the lieutenant and like the club owner oh, guy yeah. who is such a caricature. I mean, is there a huge like Italian mafioso contingent in Florida? Because <laughs> this movie makes it seem like. There is. It's so sh- it's so weird. Yeah. It's really so- weird. Hey everyone, this is Scotty hopping in here with a real quick fact check. And lest anyone think I'm just like mansplaining, uh, this is definitely not information I had at my fingertips. I did have to go to Google. But it turns out, yes, there is a big or at least historically was a big mafia contingent in Florida. Uh, all the five families of New York were pretty heavily involved in Miami. Um, if you've seen the movie Goodfellas, I know that they kind of touch on it a little bit there. And then based up in Tampa was the Traficante family, which is, I guess, the big kind of homegrown Italian mafia family in Florida. So there you go. Uh, yeah, Florida all mobbed up. Like basically the plot is... Aaron, stripper with a heart of gold, Mm. custody goes to her child's father. She has to get it back. She gets involved with this. She gets involved. She gets involved with the congressman. She gets involved with the, not involved with the police officer, but in, I guess, like investigating this murder, she becomes like part of the investigation and basically. She she kind of frankly takes it over. Yeah, kind of. She's like, yeah. this is mine now. <laughs> and I was like, a secretary at the FBI. So <laughs> excuse me. I know. Out, get out my way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she goes rogue. <laughs> and basically at the end of the day, everything is wrapped up with a neat and tidy little bow. Murder gets mm-hmm. solved. I guess that the murder is like super secondary, like tertiary. Uh, murder Mur- gets murders. solved. 
Murders. Murders. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Because of the lawyer. Yes. Oh, God, I forgot about that. That's what makes everybody so worried about Aaron and why they all end up yes. chasing, like following her to the yacht at the end. Yes. Like, she's she's in danger. She's in danger. Her kid, her kid comes to in the yeah. strippers. It's really. It's a, it's a hij- lot. Hijinks. Hijinks. <laughs> Hi Jinx. Hi Um, and then at the end, all of the bad guys are like caught. All of the good people get rewarded. Aaron gets her kid mm-hmm. back. We live mm-hmm. happily ever after. Tidy, 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 tidy. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's striptease. Let's <laughs> talk maybe a bit more condensed, <laughs> a bit more efficiently. Let's talk about the synopsis for Hustlers. Fast forward. Fast forward. To 2019. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Hustlers is based on an article called yes. The Hustlers at Scores mm-hmm. that was, where did that article, it came out in like the New Yorker? The, the Atlantic or something The Atlantic like that? maybe. Mm-hmm. Let me look up the, something let me look up the trivia. It'll something say in prestigious, there. you know. Something prestigious. Some, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So based on a, on a true story. Mm-hmm. And the movie follows Dorothy slash mm-hmm. Destiny. She kind of yes. feels like she's at the center of this, played by oh, yeah. Constance Wu, mm-hmm. as she is a dancer in a club in New York mm-hmm. in 2007. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Lopez plays another dancer named Ramona. We also mm-hmm. have Kiki Palmer, uh, Lily Ryan. Is that her mm-hmm, name? Mm-hmm, um, and is. some appearances by like Cardi B and Lizzo. Mercedes Raul is in it. And then mm-hmm. there are men in it, but like very purposefully men are like very much side Peripherals. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like mm-hmm. the casting for this is like the reverse of striptease. 1000%. Yes. Yeah. I, I was like new era. The person in charge backstage, they call her mom. Yeah, Mercedes Mercedes rule. And also the same era, because we still have things like men controlling the money and yes, casual racism abounding in the clubs, etc. So and again, we meet Constance in her stripper newness, which they're mm-hmm. both new. That's the other thing. They're both very new. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Like Demi, Demi was eight weeks in and we don't know exactly how long Destiny has been dancing, but we know she's new. She's the new girl at this club yeah. in particular. Yeah. I will say the music makes a lot more sense <laughs> in Hustlers. <laughs> like every song I'm like, yeah, you could strip to that. Like, yeah. That yes. Makes- yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's uh, funny mm-hmm. because I was watching just as an aside and we can come back to this, but I was watching strip tease and I was like, I mean, technically what Demi Moore is doing is like burlesque. Oh yeah. It's just that yeah. she takes off, you know, like you can see her nipples, which you mm-hmm. usually don't in burlesque. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, that's, that's the vibe of her dancing in strip tease. Yes. yes. Uh, whereas in Hustlers, it is what you would see in a strip club. Yeah, you get more pole action in Hustlers. You actually get some very real realness around training on the pole and getting, yeah. you know, like what that means and how athletic it is and how yeah. Constance was talking about how she doesn't have the muscles to do some of these moves and then how it impacts her vagina. So everything is just very more centered on the women involved, which, and for those who don't know this story, um, this is not Stripper with a Heart of Gold at all. In fact, the not criminals are the strippers and yes. they- 
<laughs> There's a lot of shake. They evolve into a place where they are essentially shaking down men, drugging them in order yep. to and like have a deal worked out with the club where yep. whatever they get the men to spend at the club, they get a cut of that. Yeah. And so, they end up like, you know, these men end up spending in some cases like tens of thousands of dollars. Yes. Um, I think they're drugged because <laughs> they're drugged. Yeah. And I think in one case in real life, in the real life story, there was a guy who spent like 135 grand. Ooh. And I think Ooh. it may have been spread out over like three nights, but, but still. still. And so they go through it, you know, running this sort of scam. Mm. And then you, you know, movie ends with them getting caught and the movie jumps back and forth in time, right? You go like 2007, mm-hmm. 2011, present day, and sort of moves back in between these time periods. And Julia Stiles plays the journalist who is writing the article about them. And it's interesting because it very much seems like at least Destiny and Ramona's characters have not talked since, right. since they were arrested. Right. And charged. And so there's this sort of like, well, she said, well, she said, well, she said, well, she said thing about it. So it's interesting. Like we wanted to talk about these two movies because they both deal with, you know, this aspect of sex work that is dancing in clubs for men. Mm-hmm. And what we get is two like, oh, two <laughs> like vastly different views of so different, so much stuff. So let's like, let's start with just like talking about them as movies. You know, like you said, mm-hmm. Striptease was billed as a, as a dark comedy, a black comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel, I don't know that I noticed it so much when I watched it in 1996, <laughs> but upon watching it now, I was like, oh, this movie's like not, it's not very good. It's, it's it's not very good. I agree. I mean, it's it's I can also see. not the worst. Like barbed wire also came out <laughs> in 1996, and I think like it got a lot <laughs> of hate for being like striptease dead for being a terrible movie. And I'm like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of other bad movies that came out. But there was a lot of bad movies for sure. And yeah. look, it's also was not painful to sit through again. I will say that I was a little no. bit. It was, felt it just felt like a throwback kind of experience for most of it. And then there were things that now you know, screenwriting, blah, blah, blah. I can't help but be like, wait, what? What? Yeah. Like there was like when she's in the room with all the headless dolls, I'm like, where even is this? What's yeah. happening? And then there's a tiny little thing where her daughter says like, the dolls you got me, daddy says we can't find them anymore or something like that. And I was like, is that what the weird room with all the headless dolls was supposed to? You had no idea where she was, what was happening. So these majorly sort of glossed over plot holes, which part of me was like, did we just want to see Demi in the rain like running? Right. Into- Probably. Honestly. <laughs> also, I do have to say Demi Moore looks fantastic in this insane. movie. Insane. Insane. She looks like, and I don't mean this to like objectify her <laughs> maybe in the normal way. <laughs> But rather, like, I look at her body in that movie Mm -hmm. and I'm like, you worked so hard for that body. Like, good for you, man. Mm -hmm. Like, you set yourself a goal about how you wanted to look in this movie. And like, I hope you I hope you can look back at this and be happy about how you looked because. Yeah. Yeah. Her first dance. I thought, oh, she's wearing nylons. (laughs) She was not. No, she was not. (laughs) Elizabeth, I thought the same thing. I thought the same. I was like, whoa, 90s. And then I was like, bitch, is not. Those are just two legs. (laughs) Those are just 
her legs. She's yeah. just perfect. She's just flawless. It's insane. Yes. It's totally insane. And yeah. I will say that there, I mean, there was a, uh, just to bounce back and forth a little bit, Hustlers had a really, uh, for me, a far more beautiful juxtaposition, like a spectrum of yes. human beings. Yes. Uh, who do this work and the, you know, striptease, it was like Demi Moore was the pinnacle da, 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 da. and everybody else was like other versions of male gaze, idealized female bodies. And yeah. that, and it was very limited in scope and pretty sure they were all white. One, one black woman, maybe in striptease. Yeah. Yes. And then we had the like from Israel Jewish oh, yeah. woman who was in love with, <laughs> with Steven Spielberg. Yes. And <laughs> couldn't wait yes. to meet him and touch his little beard. Um, Which I guess and, I'm like, is this where the comedy is supposed to come in? <laughs> and this is such an interesting thing, right? Because like, mm. Because it's also based on a book, which I would love to read the book and oh my God, like, yeah. see if the Same. book is funny. Also, we do have to say that this movie was directed by the by the guy who did Blazing Saddles, right? Like comedy, this isn't, comedy. Yeah, yeah, comedy, comedy. And mm-hmm. the thing that I keep thinking about is clearly Aaron is supposed to be a bit of a straight woman, right? Uh, like uh-huh. yeah. a cast totally. of crazy characters all around her. I, this is mm. what I feel like. I feel like Burt Reynolds, Ving Rhames all of the dancers, they were all in the same movie. And then I feel like you had Demi Moore and Amanda, Armanda Sante, who felt like they thought that they were doing like a John Grisham movie. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they were like, I are we in the Rainmaker? Yes, we are. <laughs> we serious are drama. seriously solving crime with criminals <laughs> and murder. Blazing Saddles was directed by Mel Brooks. I just need to oh, say. Okay. Um, then what so- is that? But it's um, Andrew Bergman wrote the screenplay. Thank you. And yeah, um, I was like Mel Brooks directed. I needed to fact. I needed to fact I love, check. No, we love an in 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 <laughs> time fact check. Yeah. So Andrew Bergman directed Striptease and co-wrote Blazing Saddles with Mel Brooks. So okay, they clearly did go try to go for the comedy bent, you know. And maybe it was funny in the '90s. I don't really. I mean, there's just there's so much caricature happening and so much that now feels very stereotyped and very. um, Everyone felt like a caricature from the very cliched club owner who was like, you know, the kind of hey girls, I just want to like, oh yeah, yeah, we gotta like make more uh, money and sell more drinks and there's like a <laughs> naked girl beaver on the sign and on the napkins and she's got huge boobs and yeah, yeah this is what I've been trying to figure out is if we had Demi Moore also isn't like a New Mexico native so like props mm-hmm. to her I don't want to mm-hmm. I don't want to diss a New Mexico sister mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but has like a scope of the work that yeah. she can do and I'm wondering yeah. if they had gotten somebody who was uh better at comedy if the Mm. movie would have been it just it felt like Demi Moore was taking herself very seriously in the role and the rest of the movie was supposed to kind of be this like farce you know like borderline farce type of thing with like these caricatures and these broad you know the sort of Mm. broad boob comedy um Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) and like if it would have worked better if it had been somebody else? That's a really good question because I definitely feel like there is a a sense of her certain scenes that could have been really funny and maybe were supposed to be funny, but she just brought 
so much seriousness. Like it, very yeah. specifically when she's talking to club owner about the eager beaver, which yeah. the club is called the eager beaver. I mean, it's not, it's not subtle y'all. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> and you know, it's kind of bantering with him, but her banter even is like Demi Moore, like the she's and there's something in the original billing for it, where they're talking about her as like one of the world's biggest movie stars or something. Yeah. So she was like at her peak. She was like, I mean, clearly they wanted her for a reason. And so the casting makes sense in that context. But yeah, I feel like a lot of the comedic potential was maybe Not lost. realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And it's an interesting thing. And in like looking back at the stuff that she was doing up to this mm-hmm. point, like she was a little bit outside of her Brat Pack days, right? Yeah. Like at this yeah. point, about a decade or so outside mm-hmm. of that. And she had been doing things like Indecent Proposal. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to remember it. The movie that she did with Michael Wetz's face where she's the boss and they like start to like hook up and then he like changes his mind. Michael um, Keaton? No, it's not Michael Keaton. It's the who was married to Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, uh, Michael Douglas. Yes. Yes. And she just come off of that movie. What is it called? <laughs> I keep wanting to say Disclosure. Is it, it might be Disclosure. Disclosure. That's a, yes. 1994. Disclosure. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she was coming off of these movies where, you know, like in Indecent Proposal, she's married to Woody Harrelson. She meets mm-hmm. Robert Redford when they're like in Vegas and Robert Redford's like, I'll get, I'll pay you a million dollars to spend one night with your wife. And like, they do it. And then of course, like the marriage falls apart because why, why wouldn't it? <laughs> Because you pimped out your wife. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And then <laughs> Which, like, like everybody's mad about it. Like, you know, yeah, I feel very much like I have a partner in my life right now who we would be like, yes, like I, <laughs> if either one of us was propositioned in that way, we'd be like, and especially we will take somebody like, like Robert Redford, like you know what Robert I mean? Redford. Yes. Like I a thousand percent would. Yeah. I mean, I'd be like, Robert you're, Redford you're gonna pay, you'll pay me. You'll pay, you'll pay me. <laughs> You'll pay me. Yeah. Sorry, just want to clarify. You will be paying me (laughs) to sleep with. Yes. Okay. No. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. For sure. Yeah. Pimp me me out. Yeah. Give me 30 (laughs) minutes and I'm ready to rock and roll. Just got to take a quick shower. Um, It's very hot in Albuquerque. Yeah. 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 Okay. So she's coming off this high, right? Yes. She's like, and then she clearly something happened here where she was able to command this insane salary, which I bring up for a reason because I do want to talk a little bit about the juxtaposition of this with Hustlers because yeah. this Hustlers was like JLo's passion project. Like she actually didn't take much of a salary. Like she was mm-hmm. one of the she was one of the producers on the film. So I don't think we know exactly what she's like making on the back end. But as an actress in the like as one of the lead actors in the movie, she didn't really pay herself that much. Didn't even pay that much. Um, I don't think she, I knew that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cause she really wanted to get this movie made and she really wanted to tell this story. And that was one of the ways that she was able to do it. I mean, the production companies like Gloria Sanchez Productions, and then it's um Oh, there's another one that I am not going to remember at this time. I have to look it up. I'm going to look it up. But they were both, I feel like they were both kind of newer production companies and they were both really wanting to, oh my gosh, I am already a member. What? Sorry. (laughs) 
Are you trying to go to IMDb? <laughs> I, didn't us. To. I didn't mean to. It's all right in. I know. Log in and tell me blah de blah. But yeah, they they, you know, this is the kind of movie where studio executives like just really candidly love to find reasons to not make it because it's about women. It is written by women. It was directed by a woman. It's like None of the main characters are white women. It's just, and it's about strippers. So, and it's about strippers who are criminals. So like <laughs> every step of the way you yeah. have all the people who were like, no, 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 no. So one of the ways that she could get this movie made is by working with these kind of newer production companies who are looking to, you know, be part of the sea change in Hollywood. Right. And, and yeah. And so she d- didn't really take much of a salary for it. Whereas me more because there was definitely a moment where I was like, man, both of these women have these amazing vehicles to show off their physical skills. Mm -hmm. I really think JLo did an amazing job acting wise uh, and hustlers. And so it's, and now they have, I mean, and she was 50 when she made that movie. Bitch was 50. I know I'm getting us a little off track, but it's like, <laughs> no, what? I, I mean, I the think, fuck? uh, I think Demi Moore was like third between like 34 and like maybe 37, mm-hmm. maybe 37 mm-hmm. when she did striptease. So like, while yes, she looks fantastic. Also just a side note, everybody, I remember in the nineties, they were mm-hmm. like, can you believe that this haggard old 30 something year old woman can look this good? Like, I remember that that was a thing of like, can we, this woman is basically Methuselah and look <laughs> how good she looks. Uh, like, yeah, you're right. I remember that too, where it was like a yeah. huge, huge deal that she was up on the stage competing with like the 22 year olds or whatever. Yes. And here comes Which I'm J-Lo. like, okay, again, if I had... <laughs> We can, you know, we can check the receipts. I also looked fantastic at 30. I mean, it's, you know what? I still look fantastic. But yeah, you do. Um, mm-hmm, <laughs> but mm-hmm. looking fantastic in your 30s is nowhere near as hard mm-hmm. as it is at any point after that. And it's not, like, you know, JLo has always been JLo. Yes. You know, it's never like yes. she at any point really, quote unquote, let herself go. But she comes out in that movie when she does that first pole dance. And I was like, you Very have dumb. got to be kidding me. It's very dumb. It is. It's just stupid how it good is she looks. insane how good mm-hmm. she looks. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't. And I just checked your receipts for you. Demi was 32. Bitch. Okay. <laughs> uh, but do you remember that? Do you remember how they I were do. like, yeah, like, whoa, this, this is old amazing. dried up woman. <laughs> Look, don't you still want to fuck her? Isn't and that she's amazing? She's in her 30s. What? What? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I do and have then- to say that I do love that. I do love that for us in a way. I mean, all of it is still like, you know, yeah. body and all that good stuff. But I do love that it is now we are moving a bit more towards like, we don't dry up and shrivel away into dust the second we turn 30. Like, you know, <laughs> no, we you can not. you can be 50 and look like, you know, and be JLo or not mm-hmm. look like JLo and, yep. you know, and still be hot as fuck and like- still be hot as fuck and still pull dudes like two decades younger than you good for her which i gotta say as someone who is squarely in her 40s now as are Mm -hmm. you and i think you can maybe vouch for this as well the young dudes just are so interested (laughs) it's very 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. haven't, as a pansexual, I haven't had this much male attention since I was probably 18. And I haven't. The, the last time that somebody who was my age mm -hmm. showed interest in me was probably mm -hmm. like almost a decade ago. Oh, and wow. since then, it has been squarely guys that are men's seven years younger than me. <laughs> men's. Amazing. I do. Yeah. I definitely also have the problem and I'm calling it a problem because it is becoming a problem of the like the silver fox gaze that I'm like, can you, it's not for you, bro. I don't even know what's happening or why you think it is, but please take it elsewhere. It's really, it's very wild. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. This is but an it's absolute, absolute sidebar to this entire conversation. <laughs> but what I have always gotten and only increases with age is the the dads. And I don't oh, mean like our dads. I mean, like the guy who's at the store with like his seven-year-old and his three-year-old. Yep, and yep. nobody's nobody's creepy, but I'm sort of like, is it because I don't have like, ooh, the child on me? Is it like... <laughs> I was going to say mom energy, but that's way better. Yes. You have like, you have energy period. They're like, oh, you're not, <laughs> you're not exhausted. You're not like fundamentally having a hard time standing up right now. Yes. And like <laughs> sick of my shit, sick of your shit, sick of these like kids shit <laughs> over it. Yeah. Maybe that's it is that I don't have like, oh, like done with it energy. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, she's alive. And I'm like, because I, because I didn't marry you and I have children with you. I didn't marry you and have children. Yeah. It is an, there is an allure there for sure. For sure. It yeah. Very I'm funny. energetic because I don't have to deal with your shit. Just you're like, sign me up for like six months. I'm sure we'll be over real quick. Oh yeah. Uh, Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything will just droop. This is terrible. I, what, let me be very clear here. I'm 100. I'm, I'm mostly being a shit here. This is not me trying to shit talk men or I marriage mean, or any of those things. No, if you've done all of those things, power, more power to you. Good for you. Fighting that, that fight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Godspeed. Godspeed. Yeah. Ah. Okay. All right. So Jennifer we had Lopez, our little 50. aside <laughs> yes. on the, yeah, on the men, which I mean, I will say that Hustlers is so refreshing in the sense that it uh, talks about so many of the complexities of these things, right? I mean, it's part of the historical reality of what happened, but it was very fun to see that they didn't gloss over the fact that the crash of 2008, the Wall Street crash, actually yeah. like impacted things like the sex worker industry yep. that there, you know, were people who were casualties of that all over the place, including the women that used to be essentially financially supported by a lot of these wealthy ass men. And they yeah. did not shy away from talking about the nuances of whether or not you should feel sorry for these dudes who are being taken advantage of. And Elizabeth, the journalist played yeah. by um, Julia Stiles, flat out says at one point, you know, like, I know I'm supposed to think that you drugging them and taking their money was wrong, but I actually don't really feel sorry for them. And then it's Constance Wu who brings up like their humanity and how it like it still really did suck and in a lot of ways to see people's lives being put in danger essentially like they were like they were yeah using ketamine and mda mdma to drug these men and it yeah. like it was there were some consequences to that yeah um, and so i just really loved how it was a nuanced film that did not you had said earlier in striptease it's like you get to the end the bad guys are punished the good guys are rewarded it's all very clear and cut and dry mm -hmm. 
And Hustlers is totally the opposite of that, where we have, because you root for them. Like you, at least I did. And I did too. I was like, both get that get, money. Get that get, money. Get that money. Yeah. And I really deeply appreciated as a very sexual person, as someone who has written erotica professionally before and who has a child, I really loved that, you know, it was it was very hard to watch to me more portray a mother who was just like so deeply ashamed. <laughs> to like be forced into this, like to see, have her daughter know that this is what she's doing. And yeah. then to sh- flip that narrative into a space where JLo from the start and then Constance Wu eventually, they're both mothers. They're both doing this work and they're, it's mm-hmm. all very sh- shameless. It's unapologetic. Yeah. It was really like that part of it was really beautiful to witness and to just like, I, you know, to see that, I mean, we had said we wanted to talk a little bit about how things had changed or evolved. And that was yeah. the key The key thing for me is that all of the women in Hustlers were treated like complex human beings and the fullness of their identities were really not only acknowledged, but just like really put out there front and center. And that was yeah. really badass. Yeah, absolutely. And like... It's like, it's interesting too. You bringing this up also makes me think of how the like, the lens through which striptease shows Mm -hmm. the men versus the lens through which Hustlers shows the men. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying, like, you've got the one guy in Hustlers who like, you know, ended up at the strip club after like his house had burned down and like, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's one of the guys who gets Mm -hmm. pulled into the scam. And that is honestly like one of the dudes that I'm like, I do, I feel bad for that guy because it was just Mm -hmm. like, they happened upon somebody who did not have the means to deal with that kind of financial loss. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, it's all pretty much like, these are not good people. Like there's yep. that, there's that scene at the beginning of Hustlers where Constance Wu was doing a dance. And mm-hmm. that guy is like, who hurt you, baby? Huh? And I'm oh, like, yeah. you like you and piece of, of dick face. <laughs> yes. I just, it's really infuriating. And that it's done to her, not in a way of like, why are you doing this? Like, are you okay? It's done mm-hmm. as like, like sexualizing her. And yeah. And, and, and it's, it's done as in like flirty talk with her. And I'm like, there is not a woman alive who even if, and the likelihood of, you know, the fill in the blank of that if is like so mm-hmm. large for mm-hmm. most women, right. And people who were socialized as women mm-hmm. and the likelihood that there is some trauma to fill in that blank with is so, I don't know that there's a woman alive who's really like, please fucking talk dirty to me by bringing up my trauma. Please. Oh my God. Nothing gets me hotter than Especially you casually bringing yes. at my workplace. That sounds <laughs> fantastic. I, oof, I mean, just bringing my fantasies to life. Bro. Yes. Like, I'm, I'm all aflush with the thoughts of this, <laughs> but it's interesting to see that, you know, like the, it's again, very much, they do not cast men in a sympathetic light in no. that. You also see, you know, the guy that Constance Wu ends up having a child with and that he's kind of a shit. There's the other dancer whose boyfriend keeps showing up at, you know, her job to like Mm -hmm. cry about the fact that she's a dancer when that's something that he has known about her the the entire time. time. Versus the men in striptease who are like, there's very clearly like a lust for the women from Mm -hmm. the men in striptease. Mm -hmm. 
and there are some of them that are bad because they're criminals, but right. mostly it's just these men and they're just so like, you know, they're so enamored with these beautiful women and like, yes. I mean, they do say over and over again, like you said before, like Erin is very revered because she's so different and she's so, mm-hmm. she's just caught in this very unfortunate situation. Like they're the cop at one point uses a term with her that I really wanted to, I should have written down because it was like something like you're a really stellar girl or something like that. You know that about yourself, you know, like you're a really special, it's not special girl, but it's something like that. And he definitely calls her a girl and she is a 32 year old woman with a child. Yeah. And it's just, and you know, and it's meant to be like such a like sweet, friendly moment between the two of them. But at time and time again, we're reminded that these men are being heroes to this woman because she is. I mean, they outright say it at one point, like she's not dumb enough for us to like get away with taking advantage of her. The, you know, that's what the bad guys say. And then all the good guys are always talking about how she's so magnificent and so special and so, you know, smart and so all these things. So that's why they have to protect her is because she has all these exceptional qualities for a woman. Right, right, right. They could give two fucks about the rest of the dingbat dancers yeah. because they're yeah. all trash. Yeah, trashy dingbats, yeah. Who deserve to be in that line of work. It's interesting messaging. I mean, and it's, it's you know, it's interesting messaging about sex work uh, mm-hmm. to begin with. You know, yeah, there's so, there's so much in there. And I think you also see some of that in Hustlers too about like, there's definitely a thing of like, well, you're a stripper. And it's like, well, bitch, you're in here, aren't you? Yeah, but being <laughs> a being a customer and being the day, you know, it's yeah, that part of it is, is pervasive across both movies. I think it's so much more heavy handed in striptease, like where even her, you know, pill popping, uh, thieving ex-husband says something like, I'm not going to have a stripper. Tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. just like, what? It feels so wild in this day and age to hear that be just like a an accepted line of dialogue, you know, and she just sort of has a frustrated moment on the beach afterwards as he drives right. away with her child. And right. you're like, and it's ah. not, it very much feels like her frustration is not like, fuck you, dude, you yeah. know, and yeah. I can't say that because this is the father of my child and blah, blah, blah. It feels like, well, I am just a dumb stripper. And like, <laughs> I am just a stripper and I don't have any right to say anything anymore. To say anything. And I should be grateful for the crumbs that everybody's throwing me, even though deep down inside, I know that I have, I am a good person, which is also an interesting thing, right? Of like, Erin mm. is doing this because she's been forced to do it. Oh, she yeah. has no other option. And there are a myriad of reasons why people get into sex work. And Mm -hmm. they range from because they fucking want to down Mm -hmm. to because they need to to survive and everything in between. You know, it's an interesting I think it was a tweet. I don't remember what it was, but it was somebody who was talking about sex work and the way that it's like degraded and, and you know, it's not treated with any kind of respect uh, mm-hmm. and all those things. And I think somebody came in the comments when it was like, yeah, well, that's what happens when you sell your body. And the original tweeter was like, what job are you not selling your body in? I mean, please. Construction worker, you're selling your body. Mm-hmm. Garbage man, you're selling your body. Office worker, like your your body's, you know. Expected to be at a certain place at a certain time doing a certain thing. Yeah. Surgeon, you're selling your body and what Mm -hmm. you can do with your body. Like Mm -hmm. everybody's selling their body. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting that we're like, we as a human race have been like, it's okay to sell your body in this way. It is not okay to sell your body in this other way. Thank you, Puritans. Thank you, Puritans. (laughs) You dicks. Um, Okay. 
Let's okay. talk about the dancing a little bit in this okay. in these movies. Okay. And sort of like in watching both of these movies, I was like, one is so clearly directed by a man and the other is so clearly directed by a woman. So clearly. Uh, like, slash written as well. Both yes, the writing yes. and the and the directing. Absolutely. Yeah. And just like seeing, <laughs> I remember when Striptease came out. Like I was really like interested in it because mm-hmm. I, there was something and it was probably that sort of like burlesque type aspect to Aaron's sure. dancing that I was sort of like intrigued with. Mm-hmm. But I remember watching it and being like, huh, this should be sexier than it is. Right. And I yeah. remember reading a review that was like, Demi Moore moves like a linebacker. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh. Which is to say she's very strong. I mean, there's that. That is accurate. Um, she's very strong. It's so funny that you brought up burlesque. Though. I'm like now putting it together that she does her very first dance is in like the suit coat. Yeah. And the da da da. And, uh, but like with sexy women's lingerie underneath. Yeah. And I did that for one you of did. our burlesque shows. You did. You did. You did. <laughs> like, back in the day. <laughs> back in the day. I yeah. Was like, oh. Mm-hmm. So burlesque yeah. for sure. So um, yeah. So yeah. But her dancing is, it's like, it's dancing. And there's that scene where she's out of the shower yes. and she's like kind of getting dressed and has a towel on, but like puts on these shorts and then keeps her towel on, but keeps dancing. And then when the cop shows up, she's like, hang on, I was just rehearsing. And you're like, were you that, choreographing? Is, is that, is that? It just looked like you were fucking around in your bedroom, girl. Like I, that was okay. Yeah. Like that yeah. Was, oh. She's like okay. blowing herself with a hair dryer and, you know, and I guess we're to- supposed to, I guess we're supposed to know because she has a towel around her neck, like, uh, and then she has a boa around her neck and the next time she maybe, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's the connection that we were supposed to draw that like, that's her like choreographing, choreographing. her yeah. next piece. Just, you know, moving to Annie in the. That song is bi- that song is bitching though. That that song is a banger. Uh, that song is a banger. Little absolutely. bird, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, by Annie Lennox. I do not know what it's called, but I, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Scotty, cut that out. Um, anyways, don't cut it out. Leave Amelia singing in there. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's just and it's so funny because it's. Just, I think it's just that she. I don't think that there's a lot of innate rhythm or and you know I mean maybe it was also that she was like I'm really nervous about doing this and that kind of came through on film Mm -hmm. but it is not the it is not the sexiest of movements no no and it it should be yeah I I did honestly find the song choices jarring and not just the Annie Lennox like none of the strippers at the Eager Beaver seem to want to dance to stripper music like to dancer, like club music. Like yeah. and the, I'm like, there's no way in hell that, cause I can't remember. There was one that it was not, it wasn't the four tops, but it was something like the four tops. <laughs> like it was yeah. some old timey shit, like, which I love, but there's no way that in 1996, this is what was playing in the clubs. Like, no, I, I don't think you're going to be getting a lot of dollar bills at that, which I think is again, very, it's very funny to see it juxtaposed with Hustlers yeah. where, what is the song that Jennifer Lopez dances to? Is it Criminal? Oh, her opening one, yes, is yeah. Criminal by Fiona Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a very sexy song. It literally song. opens with, I've been a bad, bad girl. So yes. Like- <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. we got it. Yeah. <laughs> Please continue. Um. Being naughty. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But it was just like, and I don't know. I know that Demi Moore had a physicality coach. Okay. For striptease. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what happened. Like we got a physicality coach for striptease. Mm-hmm. And then we had the girls, the women and hustlers, like actually going to clubs, actually learning from dancers. Right. Actually. And then dancing. And then actually doing the stuff that you would see in a in a club. And the pole work. And I, you know, I actually I went to my very first strip club in probably 1996. Around there uh-huh. and 97 ish. And I, I, so I don't know if it's just that pole dancing has become more of a cultural phenomenon, even outside of strip clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely felt like everything because they, they, people were pole dancing in the club in yeah. 1996, seven. Yeah. And it feels like in striptease, they just sort of spun around it a little bit. Very and, much so. And like, but didn't really do anything with it. It was just sort of there. Uh-huh. Whereas Hustlers, it was very much this central piece mm-hmm. wherein the dancers were using it, were, you know, doing the tricks, were doing the things. And that, and the very cute scene where JLo is teaching Constance Wu. I know I should be calling them by their character names, but <laughs> I'm just not. Um, where Ramona was teaching Destiny. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the different things. And then their coworker, walks in Cardi B comes in and they start doing the like lap dance coaching like that. And, and then it's all just this very real talk, real, again, dialogue clearly written by a woman who, who knows people or at least talk to people who worked at strip clubs. Like it's very, it all felt very authentic. It felt like, I mean, that moment I'm getting off the dancing for a second because I feel like right before the moment that leads into that scene where Constance Wu is like cuddled up in JLo's fur I like that was the moment I fell in love with this movie the first time yeah. I saw it. I was just like, okay, like whatever happens next, I'm here for it. That was just yeah. so there's something about JLo on that roof yeah. in her, you know, costume, which is like mm-hmm. three strings, <laughs> and like <laughs> in this massive fur, mm-hmm. and then just saying, get into my fur, and like wrapping Constance Wu up in there. Little, and they're just out there, yeah, smoking their cigarette. Baby. Yeah, like a little baby that was just like really. And I think one of the, I think also a a beautiful thing about Hustlers is that it very much shows like, here are these women, they meet as strangers, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then they get into this thing where they're, you know, living like kings, right? Like Ramona says that at the end, we were a fucking hurricane, right? And they're doing all this stuff and they're making all this money and like things are great and they're living high on the hog. And then shit starts to go south and all of the stress points are tested mm-hmm. in all of these relationships, sometimes to the point of like for real fractures. And I just like that it wasn't this, it, it, I loved that it showed how complex the relationships between these women were. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. wasn't just that they're like, they either hate each other or they're like soul sisters. Right. Yes. Yes. I loved that so much. That's the fact that there's the moment where Constance who was being interviewed for the, what eventually becomes the article. Mm-hmm. And she finds out that Elizabeth, the journalist has also talked to Ramona mm-hmm. and she has this moment of like, well, what did she, what did she say about me? Basically. Yeah. <laughs> and just that very vulnerable, like these, both of them just really fucking killed their parts. And that was such a truly real moment of this person that I loved and trusted who I feel very 
betrayed by and very, you know, who ultimately I, you know, hurt me. Like I still care about what she thinks and I still care. I care what she's telling people. And even though I'm really mad at her right now, I also like deeply love her. Yeah. That felt like such a genuine portrayal of the dynamics between you know, the intimacy dynamics between female friends. And that was really, it was just so beautifully done. I think Hustlers is a great movie. Hustlers is a great movie. And I don't remember who won in, well, Jennifer Lopez didn't even get nominated for an Oscar, huh? She didn't. There was a lot of, lot of buzz, but then she didn't. And that, I I was, I was sad about that. I thought she deserved at least a nomination. I mean, she was phenomenal and she was great she was so great in that movie i'm gonna look up who was nominated that would be that would have been 2020 oscars because it was a 2019 movie and i don't think i don't maybe constance was nominated i can't remember i don't think so though but they both deserved it honestly i think they were both really brilliant constance Wu was coming off of crazy rich asians and yeah just you know it was really beautiful to see her be like hey hey just before you like pigeonhole me as rachel from crazy rich asians like here's the full range of what i can do yeah she was okay so we had oh yeah now i remember okay so we had Because J-Lo probably would have been up for lead actress, right? What did she say? Mm -hmm. I said, was it Laura Dern? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so lead actress that year was Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson for Mm -hmm. Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan Mm -hmm. for Little Women, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, which I don't even remember that movie, and Renee Zellweger for Judy. Oh, it was Renee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boring. Okay. Um <laughs> boring. What a boring category. Boring. Um I mean it's like I mean, literally it's it's four versions of the same white woman. Like you yep. got a you got a petite curvy, a tall slender, a super tall slender, and then a petite slender. There you go. Those are your <laughs> those are your 2020 Oscar nominees With for Cynthia leading actor. Thrown in thrown for in the there for diversity. Yeah. <laughs> because she shit. made a movie about Harriet Tubman and they uh, you you can't you not. can't you can't not or you're yeah. a racist. So. Or you're a racist, yeah. <laughs> Um, but you can you can ignore hustlers and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Just so mm. you know, supporting actress was Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. I don't remember this movie. Laura Dern for A Marriage Story. Scarlett Johansson. That's what she won. Yep. Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh for Little Women, and Margot Robbie for Bombshell. Oh, oh Bombshell God. is Bombshell was the the Me Too. Yes, yes. Movie. <laughs> and this I is this know. the Weinstein reporters. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is for the report. For, report, report I'm report. on news on a conservative TV station. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Critical Megan Kelly. Theory. Megan yes. Kelly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Yeah. That's um, that's what that wow. was. That was. Yeah. Cool. I'm looking back at this and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's we have so much work to do. So much. That that's work to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was also like, you know, so there's been talk about this, right? Like we know we like there's the male gaze, right? And then Mm -hmm. there, I don't know how long ago it was that somebody was like, well, yes, but also like the feminine gaze. And now Mm -hmm. there's also been some discourse about feminine gaze because it sort of Mm -hmm. says that it's I'm going to fuck this up, but that it's sort of inherently misogynistic because it exists within the realm of the male gaze. It's something along 
those lines because it's it's juxtaposed with the male gaze or what is the i think so i'd have to look it up and see like sort of what the argument was but yeah Mm -hmm. i think i think it's because it is a response to the male gaze maybe that it's like we're still living in that realm um what are your thoughts on that let's begin with your thoughts on that elizabeth (laughs) and then we'll take a call just kidding That would be so amazing. Um, Okay. So first of all, my brain is already just arguing with the fact that we're approaching this from a binary anyway. 100%. You know, like why are we limiting ourselves by gender when it comes to gazing? Period. Like, and you know, the male gaze is an inescapable thing because we currently live in a patriarchal patriarchal society. And so that's the thing that we are up against that we're battling every single day. Yeah. I mean, our conversation earlier about the attention that we get from men at this point in our lives, like, you know, so much of it is a literal experience of men gazing at me in some sort of entitled way when Mm -hmm. I just like move through the world. Through the world, yeah. Yeah. So there's this feeling of like, okay, that's so that's what we're working against. But to me, the antithesis of the male gaze is not necessarily the feminine gaze or the female gaze. It's like, and I keep running into this problem when I'm trying to articulate experiences outside of white cis male heteronormativity. Did I say straight? There's so much, you know, white, straight, <laughs> cis male heteronormativity. heteronormativity yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> and when I try to, it's like when I try to articulate groups outside of that, there's part of me that just wants to be like literally everyone else. And which of course makes men angry and sad because it's excluding them. And it's like, <laughs> oh, poor baby, like, my, you know, I'm sorry, you're ex- being excluded for the first time in your life. And also I'm not sorry. But I don't, oh, I also don't want to like homogenize everyone else because everyone else is a very beautiful and, you know, multifarious collection of humanity. So for me, the gaze that is not the male gaze is any gaze that is uh, any perspective that is queer, that is feminine, that is not white, that is, you know, coming from a place of pushing back against puritanical boundaries, like anything that if it's kinky, if it's, you know, I, I just, I feel like there's so much more to sexuality and sensual experiences. And it is, it's very interesting to me that even in Hustlers, there was a super clear line between dancing and sex work. It was like, it was like such a sad, sad thing. And like, it was a very sad, sad scene when Constance Wu is offered like $300 for a blowjob and then finds that the dude left her three twenties. Like that's fucking heartbreaking. And it is really interesting to me that there's still sort of this disparaging point of view around anyone who chooses to do more than dance. And well, because there has to be, there has to be a hierarchy, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like humans are going to human and there has to be a way to be able to be like, I might be quote unquote pathetic, but I'm not as pathetic as this next person who can then go, well, I'm not as pathetic as this person and so on and so forth. And I think it's been super interesting to see how the language around sex work is Mm -hmm. evolving. I was doing Mm -hmm. a story a couple of episodes ago about this burlesque dancer who was like not a very good dancer, but she sort of, she trained herself to like shoot various things out of her vagina. Amazing. Um, yeah. And then had, you know, had to resort to sex work with intercourse. Uh-huh. 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 Like throughout her career. And yeah. I was like, I do, I do need some variation of language because 
Mm. in the articles that were written about her, it was like she was a dancer and then she resorted to prostitution. Resorted to. Right. And now it's a thing of like, well, it's all sex work, which is beautiful Mm -hmm. that we're trying to be Mm -hmm. like, it's all sex work and it's all like, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. But there does still need to be some nuance in the language to be like, Mm -hmm. one was this kind of sex work and the other was this kind of sex work. Um, Yeah. And the disparaging of the intercourse or other physical, physically intimate types of sex work out there. Like that to me is very patriarchal and is part of the male gaze because it is, you know, it's coming from a puritanical place. It's coming from a place wherein we all try to pretend like, I mean, it's called the oldest profession for a reason. And yet we all try to pretend like it hasn't been around for the time immemorial Yeah, (laughs) when, you know, when in fact it could actually be a really beautiful and beneficial thing if we lived in a society where it was like the brothel down the street will help, you know, help you engage safely and intimately with someone. Like if you're feeling lonely or you need, like you were saying earlier about like processing your trauma through sexual experiences can actually be very powerful and very healing for a lot of people. And like, what an amazing magical thing would it be if we had like professionals trained to like help us in this way. And yet like, we can't even get past the fact that like, we can't even get past stories wherein like strippers have to be lifted up, you know, erotic dancers have to be lifted up beyond ahead of, you know, over whores or hookers or whatever, you know, like there's turning tricks is always going to be like, we're still in a a space where that is the lowest thing you could possibly do. And, you know, it's impossible for people to imagine then that anyone would ever choose it when in fact, you know, it's like sex therapy exists, sex therapists who actually like offer sexual services like that exists and we just don't like to think about it outside of those terms so as a right. society i will say like you you talking about this did make me think of something that i'm like we should give props to striptease there aren't a ton but we should give props to striptease for the fact that even though the bad guys are punished the good guys are rewarded mm-hmm. the movie does not end with aaron being wrapped up in a new relationship with one of the men who have like quote unquote saved her That it's still her and her daughter Mm -hmm. and they're doing the thing. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's mostly due to her shenanigans that everything sort of like works out in the end for the good guys. But it doesn't, it's not that, you know, it's not this thing of like, oh, well, thank goodness for this big, strong man who like now I'm going to be with. She's like, peace. Right. Which like in 1994 or five or whenever Demi first read this story, I'm sure did feel wildly yeah. empow- empowering at the time. Yeah. You know, like that was a very feministy thing to witness is that. Yeah. She, and like, she saved the day. Like she plotted this whole thing without, like she just went rogue and was like, you know what? I know the FBI. I used to be a secretary there. I'm going to, I'm going to trap Goodbye. these criminals. <laughs> I'm going to trap these criminals and get my daughter back. And it's all going to be great. Don't yeah. need any y'all's help. Yeah. And, I'm not dating yeah. anyone after this. Goodbye. No. And yeah. And like one of them is like very paternal. I did think that there was a little bit of a moment at the, like the very last couple of lines where Ving Rhames is all, you know, don't do this without me next time or whatever. And she's like, oh, it'll never happen again. You know, this, which is meant to be a joke, obviously about like, hopefully they're never in such a crazy situation again. Yeah. (laughs) But there was definitely a moment where I was like, are they trying to give us a little bit of a, there's something more to this relationship. Oh, interesting. Um, then maybe meets, you know, that if, if she's going to end up with anybody, it's her former bodyguard. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> from the strip club, um, yeah. which is its own, you know, very radical thing for the 90s because it would have been an interracial relationship. But, yes. Um, which is maybe part of me is like, is that why they pulled back on it? Like, and didn't go forward with, I don't know. But point is well made that striptease did not put her in a relationship and let her be a single mom making her yeah. way in the world. Yeah. I mean, she hey. is 32. So who would want her at that point? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Basically dead. She's basically, of course. She's basically, <laughs> basically dead at this point. Mm, yeah. You know, I mean, pat ourselves on the back for being so forward thinking <laughs> and allowing this decrepit old 32 year old to show her naked body on, on film. Yeah. Hagitude. I think that's, yeah. <laughs> I think that's also a very interesting thing too, right? Is that like striptease has n- female nudity all over the dang place. All over. And well, yes, you get them in some skimpy outfits and stuff. You get like Cardi B with like those gigantic crystal pasties mm-hmm. uh, and all that stuff. That's the extent of the nudity. And they do a really good job of like alluding to nudity in certain yeah. scenes without ever actually showing it. Yep. yep. Uh, which is, uh, I think, good on good on them that they weren't like, hey, J-Lo, so great that you want to do this movie. You're going to have to get butt ass naked. Fully nude. Yeah. It's Phoebe Waller-Bridge talks about it with Fleabag, which just a little side plug for the best, one of the best TV shows ever made, so um, especially, so especially season two. So good. And she talks about how everyone feels like they've seen her naked, but you'd never do, which until she said it, I was like, oh, I I guess you don't. You don't. You just see her having sex a lot. So you think you've seen her naked and yeah, like maybe you... you've, see, you've seen her naked back, you know, or whatever, yeah. but you never see any nudity. And I feel like Hustlers was doing the exact same thing where everything mm-hmm. was like just on the verge of giving us that glimpse. And there's definitely like, there are naked tits in the movie. Like I def for sure, no, but it wasn't the kind of thing where you felt like in striptease, it was like every dancer who's in this club, we will get to see their boobs. Without, yes. You know, like that's going to happen. That is um, going to happen. Like within gonna, the first three minutes of the movie. Absolutely. And she instead, leaves the courtroom boobs, boobs, instant <laughs> boobs of all, you know, like the biggest boobs you've ever seen. And it, yeah, it's very, whereas hustlers, you know, like one of my favorite moments of that is when JLo and Constance Wu are in the champagne room together for maybe the first time. With that dude who just keeps putting down the- Keeps putting down the money and JLo is like taking Constance Wu's clothes off. Yeah. You leave that scene feeling like you just saw something very sexual. And in fact- like the kinkiest it gets is that she's like tugging at her. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a thing of like, you know? ooh, I'm gonna take these. I'm gonna off. do it. Yeah, but we don't see that part. But we you don't know? see it's it. Like, and I think that is like re- whatever phrase we're using to not be the male gaze, right? <laughs> so whatever that phrase is, that scene to me is something that is shot so thoroughly through that gaze because. Yes. There's so probably screen time wise, Mm -hmm. you get about the same amount of Jennifer Lopez and Constance Wu versus the guy and him like putting down the money. But it is so much about his experience of Mm -hmm. watching Mm -hmm. this rather than the women being watched. 
Yes. Which is, I think, yes. sort of like the crux of male gaze versus the fill other in the gaze. blank gaze, the <laughs> other gaze. The anti-male gaze, the super inclusive, everybody else with really complex identities gaze. gaze. <laughs> Help listeners. <laughs> What do we call it? What do we call that? But do you know what I mean? Like it could have very easily just been focused on, you know, like very Michael Bay lingering on, you know, curves and hands and, you know, very disembodied, like, no, Mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing too, is that I don't think you ever get a disembodied shot of either of them. One of their faces is always in the shot. Yeah. You never get a disembodied shot of both of them. It's like- yeah, yeah, it's very you do because you're also getting their experience. Like that's the ooh, crazy idea is like yeah. you have three humans in a room having an experience together. Yep, and we get to witness everyone having that experience, having the experience, mm-hmm. and it very yeah. much puts the two women in that scene in the place of power, mm-hmm. and it's very you know very clearly shown by Frank Wally Whaley, like just oh yeah, putting money down. <laughs> Just like continually putting hundreds down Mm -hmm. and them like really, no pun intended, but like milking every last drop out of him, like knowing exactly what to do Mm -hmm. to get him to empty that fistful of dollars onto the bench. Yeah, it's a very... What? It's a very what? You finish. I was just going to say it's a, it's a very like it's a very well done movie. It's a and oh, like yeah. I think it does a really good job of like showing that culture warts and all while also mm-hmm. painting a very clear picture of like what was happening in the country at the time mm-hmm. and you know like you said showing sort of everybody as like complex complicated individuals. Like I really like that there isn't I mean even even with Elizabeth the reporter you don't even mm-hmm. get that she is this like, you know, saintly narrator who's come in to mm-hmm. gather the story. You also kind of get the thing that you're like, well, I mean, she's doing what she's got to do to get the story, which yep. might include, you know, I don't think lying, but sort of like telling Constance Wu what she wants to hear. Yeah. And we get that little brief moment of Constance Wu kind of giving her a little mini grilling on her upbringing. And it's like, it just is so, it's so I got to say, as a writer, so many of these scenes are really hard to craft. So I just, because you get so much information in such a short period of time. And Lorene, I don't know how to say her last name, Scafaria, I believe, the director co-wrote it with Jessica Pressler, who maybe was the article the original article, I'd have to go back and look, um, the person who originally wrote the article. Um, Yes. And it just, it's such a tricky dance to like get across that much information in because movie scenes are not typically very long. And yeah, you just feel very like everybody has genuine humanity in this movie. Even eventually, you know, with Constance Wu's little glimpse into the men that she when she did feel bad for them and like you know because up until then you are a little bit like yeah fuck these guys like they're on their yacht and these women are the orcas like this is fine this is really i'm here for this this is great and then you're like oh except there's collateral damage and there are people you know who who landed in these scenarios that where it wasn't so black and white and it wasn't so cut and dry because yeah things usually aren't So yeah, props to the writers, props to the writers. How do you feel? So I think maybe you and I have talked about this a teensy bit in like personal Mm -hmm. conversations, but there Mm -hmm. is a whole slew. Apparently the youngs (laughs) are really not 
down with sex scenes in movies. Like they do not like them. They don't want movies to include sex scenes in them. And neither of these movies have quote unquote sex scenes, but they are both movies that deal with sex and the Mm -hmm. economy of sex and all of those things. And Mm -hmm. as a screenwriter, Mm -hmm. where do you, like, how do you feel about that? I'm like, what youngs are we talking to? Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's, I mean, there's so much, there's a lot of stuff. Like if you, there is a lot of discourse. And if I, uh, I don't want to get like, I don't want, I don't want the youngs to come after me. If I had to put a guess on it, I would say that it was probably younger millennials, maybe older Gen Z's that are, yeah, like very like, and feel very like, ew, like I don't, it's icky. I mean, my whole perspective on feminism and humanism and all the, you know, positive and progressive radical isms we are raised with is that it's all about agency and choice, right? Like that's the fundamental crux of it is that there's no right or wrong way to engage with your personal ideologies or political experiences or whatever it is. And I just, I feel like I personally will not, well, likely not ever stop writing about sex. Cause to me, I mean, as a, as a queer person in the world, it's like, it just is a very, it's, we don't have enough queer sex scenes yet. And so I'm going to put them in every possible movie or show that I ever write, because I think it's so important to flood the market, so to speak, because we have been flooded historically with all kinds of heterosexual sex scenes. And Mm -hmm. I personally want to counter that with my own, my own gaze, you know, however that we want to define it, because there is something to be said for humanizing people through their love and through their sexuality. And it's not going to work for everybody. And I definitely have encountered resistance in many different spaces from people who are like, do we really need to see that? And, you know, do you feel um, like that comes from a place of it being queer? Or do you think that it's if you were writing a straight cis dude and a straight cis woman and they were getting it on, do you think you'd get that same feedback? I have a few, not as many. I have a couple. I can think of a couple off the top of my head, sex scenes that are hetero, and I've not gotten any pushback on those. Mm -hmm. So, which isn't to say it doesn't exist. I do think that some of the people I've talked to did seem just fundamentally uncomfortable with sex in general. And we're like, can we not? Can we not? Can we pretend we all just spawned from our parents' brows and uh leave it at that we yes we were brought by the stork and that is yeah stark babies 100 percent um so i do think that there's an element of of puritanical feelings across the board for certain folks but i do uh i think they're you know it can feel like the majority of the pushback i've gotten is because it's like i don't know if i need to know how the sausage is made in (laughs) y'all's relationships you know like let's just not address that and i also hope that, I mean, my hope is that it's wherever that's coming from, it's not from a place of shame and it's not from a place of judgment because if anything, and I don't want to get too third wave feministy about it or whatever wave we are and be like, this is what we fought for, you know, right. but it's, <laughs> we fought for the right to fuck on screen. We fought for the right <laughs> to fuck on screen. Like stop being a baby. Um, yeah. <laughs> Because I think it's also like the beautiful thing is that we're also expanding like ace representation, asexual mm-hmm. representation and uh, exploring different kinds of intimacy. I mean, I actually think the intimacy between just as connected to our podcast topic is like 
between JLo and Constance Wu and Hustlers is so beautiful yeah. because it is like, it is powerfully intimate and it's powerfully intimate in a way that is not a sexual relationship, but it's not without sensuality and it's not without like That's physical and in- physical intimacy and connection. And so to me, it's less about like fighting for the right to show fucking on screen. And it's more about wanting to expand and tell expansive stories about what intimacy and physicality and sexuality and sexual experiences are and can be. And that's the whole spectrum for me. It's not, it's not necessarily just about getting the sex on screen. It's about making sure that we're telling all different kinds of stories that explore all different kinds of sexual and sensual experiences. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Cause like some of the stuff that I've seen is like a real problem, you know, not with like seeing relationships on screen or anything like that, but a big, a big thing that gets brought up is that there's no reason to show sex on screen. You could like, this is the thing that everybody says you could start with the characters kissing and then like move or like cut to like clothes on the floor or whatever. So I guess Mm -hmm. like, what is the case beyond sort of like what you're talking about? What is the case for sex on screen? I mean, if it's, if it's a real, real, as real as, you know, movies and TV are, but if it is, if it's an attempt to show a real experience, like sex education is a great example of this for me. Very much so. I, fucking love sex education. And one of the main reasons I love it is because you see so many sexual experiences that feel powerfully real. And that includes like awkwardness and weird faces and weird noises and just, and like hilarity in the midst of all of it. Yeah. And to, to me, the biggest reason to show those kinds of scenes and experiences is frankly to counter the myth that is porn. Like, Porn is great and has its place in the world and like can be really hot and really awesome. And also it's so not real. Like it's, and and without the media literacy behind that, like so many people grow up thinking porn is how sex works. And I'm just going to like be very candid about my own personal life right now. But if you've ever tried to, if you've ever like picked a scene in porn and been like, babe, let's do this. Let's do this. And then tried to do it. Like these are fucking professionals. Okay. Like they, they are professionals doing a job and their job is to create fantasy. And it's not, it's not in any way, shape or form what sex is in real life. And so if we can show sex on screen in a way that more authentically mirrors and mimics the sexual experiences of human beings, I just think it is a really beautiful opportunity to give people access to what that looks like outside of the fantasy world of porn. Yeah. I heard someone make this like comparison, right? That they Mm -hmm. were, they said sex in porn, like porn is to sex Mm -hmm. what Marvel movies are to everyday life. (laughs) Right? Yes. Yes. They exist in a world and there are humans doing things. Mm -hmm. Two of that, like porn and Marvel movies live firmly in the space of fantasy Mm-hmm. And sex and real life live firmly in in reality. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And that when when I heard that, I was like, "That's damn it! That's such a good." <laughs> That's such a good analogy. God damn it. Um, But you know, like you would never go to a Marvel movie and be like, I'm gonna go home and do that. But people (laughs) will watch porn and be like, 
I'm going to go home and do that. I'm going to go like, home and do that. I'm going to go home and do that. And I think it's also an interesting thing too, right? That like, I don't know. I feel like watching sex scenes and like growing up as a kid in the eighties mm-hmm. and being like a teen in the nineties, there was absolutely sex stuff, sex scenes that I watched in like mainstream movies. Oh yeah. That I probably shouldn't anything in the eighties probably I should not have watched. <laughs> uh-huh. But there's also this thing, right? That it can work as a bit of, I think, which is what you're talking about with something like mm-hmm. sex, sex education, which mm-hmm. it can kind of work as an instruction manual. I thankfully had parents who did a wonderful job of explaining the like biology mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. sex to me, the like mm-hmm. anatomy of sex to me. Mm-hmm. But then I didn't, you know, like Outside of that, I didn't have really, and I don't know whose parents are giving them instruction on like, this is how you can tell if like somebody wants to kiss you. This is mm-hmm. how, how, I don't know, any of the sort of like societal constructs yeah. about sex. And I think seeing sex on screen, not all of it. Some of it is really terrible, mm-hmm. <laughs> super damaging. But I think that seeing it played out on that on screen and on TV is sort of a like a, a guide map to that kind of a thing. It's a guide map and it can be, and it can also just really normalize the absurdity of sexual experiences and the joy and the goofiness and the like, I mean, I remember one of my favorite sex education moments. I cannot remember the actress's name because I have menopausal brain cloud, but she's the East Indian woman who a uh, young woman who's now in season two of Bridgerton. She's uh-huh. a lead actress and she yep. has this whole episode arc on sex education where she hates her orgasm face. Yep. And so she's constantly like putting a pillow over her boyfriend's face when they have Not sex. Not over her own. Not his. His. And so he's like, what is this kink? And like, why do you want to do it? And she's like, just never mind. And like, doesn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it just like, that was such a beautiful thing to me. Cause you would look at that. Like I would have looked at that girl in high school and been like, that girl's got her shit together. She's fucking beautiful. She's popular. She's rich. She's whatever. She, you know, whatever. She's got this boyfriend. She's yeah. great. And she's sitting there feeling wildly insecure about her O face. And like that to me was such a beautiful insight into how everyone, every human person who has sex on this planet has like their weird shit about sex and their weird shit that makes them feel insecure or awkward or funky or like vulnerable or like really excited, but really nervous. Like that show just embodies all of that so beautifully. And it, I just, I feel like I'm going to make my daughter watch it. Like as soon as she started to go through puberty, I'm going to be like, just sit down and watch this whole series. You're going to see a lot of stuff. You're going to see a lot of stuff you're going to learn a lot about like how fucking normal all the weird stuff is all the weird and stuff is yeah it's so and I normal think, yeah i think there's also too something to be said for like cuz i think we can i think we can sort of say this right like i don't i mm-hmm. I'm, can i say something brave okay let me yes. <laughs> you may i don't know that anybody is looking at porn and being mm-hmm. like this is deeply erotic And I want to get like very, you know, technical, like, yes, porn is people having sex on film. Yeah. Right. And it is sexual, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how much porn is out. And I'm sure, I'm sure there, I'm sure it exists and good Mm -hmm. for the people making it. But at the end of the day, you're still, you're still seeing two people, maybe more, Sure, sure, sure. you know, rutting around. And so it's not the most like erotic thing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that like watching sex scenes, I think one of the benefits that you can get from it is sort of creating the idea of what is 
erotic to your, like what you find erotic, what Mm. you find Mm -hmm. sexy Mm -hmm. based on, you know, your reactions to scenes you can. And I think it's like a really safe way to like explore, you know, certain like there's not a ton of kink in sex scenes, but there's some, you know, and it can be like a safe little entry point into like, is that something that I'm interested in? Like, is that? Yes. Oh my God. There's, sorry. You're reminding me of a very small, but powerful moment and feel good. You watched that show, right? With Mae Martin and no. um, Oh my God. Amelia. I know. I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It's so, so good. And there's just this really incredible moment because there's all this tension between the two of them because George is straight until she meets May and so there's a lot of tension around like what that means for their relationship and it's it's a huge part of it and then they have this like very hot leading into sex scene Mm -hmm. where George is essentially like telling May to like (laughs) punish her for being like you know for being such a basic little straight girl. And it is, <laughs> yes. And it's funny and it's hot. And it's like, it's just, like you said, it's this little doorway into like, does that, does that do something for you? Because yeah, if that's it something does, that rings my bell. Yeah. Then, you know, you feel like you, it's melting your butter, then maybe you have something to explore there. And if you're like, oh my God, I'm deeply uncomfortable. Then like you, like, you know, you have a visceral response to these things. And so it can be very informative and very personally illuminating in many yeah. ways. And I just am always going to be for a society that is more open and more communicative and nuanced and clear about sex and sexual experiences. So absolutely there is a time and a place for the kiss and the cutaway. Because actually in that scene I just talked about, you don't see May and George go fuck after that. You see the seducing and the dirty talk and the kind of making out, but then you transition to the post-coital moment. And so like, that's part of what I love about this sort of sexual renaissance. I feel like we are on the verge of right now or like dipping our toes in right now Mm. is like I said earlier, it's all very, it's really varied and it, it doesn't have to be porn or nothing. You know, there's just a real wide, wide world out there of all the myriad kinds of experiences that human beings have when it comes to sex and sexuality. And there's a lot of room to play with that. Yeah. I think also too, I mean, part of this is because the sort of other side of this argument is that people are like, where are the sex scenes in movies? Like, where Mm -hmm. did they go? And I think that's a little bit of a reaction to, and perhaps maybe like an overcorrection to all of the uh, indecent proposal, like Mm -hmm. disclosure, like, Mm -hmm. you know, body of evidence, all of these movies, these like sex, what you would find under the sexual thrillers genre on Netflix. and, And all of them, the podcast, you must remember this, is doing a mm-hmm. whole series on sex in the 90s right now. Yes. And, you know, that's also when we got movies like Showgirls and stuff. And you go yeah. back and you look at that and you're like, oh, these sex scenes are gross. <laughs> like it is, it is a lot of like immediate climax upon like insertion. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, a lot of like very animalistic. Additionally, you also have some not great messaging, like no man is ever faithful, uh, you know, will always cheat on his wife if given the chance. And one of the things that she, and I think this was technically, because I think she did sort of a series on movies that came out in the eighties as well, but like mm-hmm. she talks about with basic instinct, right? That's mm-hmm. Glenn Close. And yeah. And she talks about how Sharon Stone, Sharon Stone. No, and- base, yes. Basic instinct is Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then fatal, fatal attraction. attraction. Mm-hmm. Yes, fatal attraction mm-hmm. is Glenn Close, Close and, and Michael, Michael Douglas. Douglas. <laughs> and disclosure was Demi Moore. Demi Moore and, and Michael, Michael Douglas. Why? Okay. Other podcast, not today, but not today. someday, someday, can we explore the sexual appeal of Michael Douglas? Because I don't think I get it. And I would really I, love, do you I will get it? Say, I will say this. I will okay. say that probably my like sexual awakening happened when I watched Romancing the Stone. Okay. Over sure. and over. But that was very much Michael Douglas of that period, which was like early mm-hmm. 80s. Mm-hmm. After mm-hmm. that, I never got it again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ever. And I think, you know, they were in the jungle. He's, he was like, very swarthy, which is a thousand percent your type. Always, so. You know, looked, looked a little drunk the whole time. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> but Karina we Longworth. Digress. Yeah, <laughs> we digress. Karina Longworth talks about how Glenn, in, in writing about fatal attraction, mm-hmm. everybody was sort of like, and then Michael Douglas goes for Glenn Close. And she's this like, not young looking woman and like you know it was all of these things that were was like she's clearly not the woman that he should be with and the movie does a lot of work to frame Michael Douglas's wife in that movie as like mm-hmm. you know she's always in like a soft amber glow of lighting she's always like very very beautiful and all that stuff so maybe it's a little bit of that maybe mm-hmm. maybe the, the pendulum is sort of like yeah I don't want to see those kind of sex scenes anymore right. where it's always yeah. sort of couched around like shitty people doing shitty things and like nefarious activities rather than just Mm -hmm. like, you know, an external expression of how two or more people feel about each other. (laughs) Right. Which is, you know, what we're essentially just to bring it full circle. We're talking about the potential, you know, dismissal of the male gaze in sex scenes and the embrace and exploration of all the other people who are also in the world who have sex gaze. Yeah. 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 Gaze. (laughs) We got, we got to come up with a better title, a better title than that. We really Um, do. I felt like there was something that I was going to want to talk to you about in terms of like, okay, let's talk a little bit about this because so Demi Moore went into striptease with an Mm -hmm. asking price of $12.5 million for the picture, Mm -hmm. uh, which she got. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you mentioned the highest paid female actor in Hollywood at the time. And then striptease got made and it bombed. Mm -hmm. It bombed. And in like doing the research for this, so many articles that were like, striptease was the end of Demi Moore's career. She mm. was like, you know, completely disregarded after this fact. And again, talking about like, I just think it's interesting because she made a movie that was not a great movie. Yeah. But like you said, it is not like, oh God, this is like uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. No. And many men have made far worse films, far worse films. And it has not been the end of of their career. Mm -hmm. Are we anywhere removed from that now? Or is it are we like pretty much in the same position? I mean, I will say I think we have evolved past and I I believe this is related because, you know, not only was the movie bad, but to me was rapidly approaching 35, which is just so painfully unfuckable in 1996 or whatever. So I'm sure that didn't help. And I will say that in the last 
20 some odd years, we have made significant progress, not enough, but significant progress around. And, you know, JLo is not the only example of this, thank God, because if that was what we were all trying to aspire to, (laughs) I'm just going to go back to bed. But we have made a lot of strides in terms of expanding the idea of a woman's sexual identity and sexual viability and, you know, what even is femininity? Like what, you know, what is, what does it mean to be a woman in this world? Like all of these things are being challenged and expanded and, you know, the limited notions of what we were dealing with before are being pushed back against. That said, it is not, we've just flipped a switch and now we're G2G and everything, you know, women can do whatever they want in the movies and we'll be safe and fine. Like, I think there is absolutely still a very cis white male dominated culture in Hollywood that maintains a lot of the power. And as a result of that, women are held to different standards. Women are not necessarily given the same opportunities in the first place. And even if they get them, it's still far too easy for people to point to the opening box office of something and say, well, that didn't do very well. And so we don't want to risk it again with this other women's movie, you know, or like whatever fill in the blank that isn't. Yeah. A white dude. Exactly. Right? And there's exactly. a, there's, and I mean, I think that the still, I think it was probably more true back in the nineties with mm-hmm. when striptease was made, but it is absolutely still true now that like anybody who's from a quote unquote marginalized group, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have the luxury of making a mediocre project. No. Everything has to be excellent. And not only does it have to be excellent, you are also responsible for making up for all of the diversity in all of the ways mm-hmm. that all of the rest of the industry that is created by white men are ignoring. Like yes. I have the discourse around movies that have to deal with like, again, a certain marginalized group mm-hmm. and whether or not they have enough variation in skin color and whether or not oh, yeah. they have enough, like, you know, representation of mm-hmm. X number of groups or whatever are never the conversations that I'm hearing around, you know, fucking transformers or whatever the fuck it's always, it's, it rests on our shoulders to do all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And if we miss the mark in any way, it's a failure. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't Oscar bait, failure. Yep. There's a really good Lainey of uh, Lainey Gossip. Elaine Liu has a beautiful thing that she says about, I mean, beautiful, painful, um, but it sums it up really well because she talks about how, you know, to be a black woman on the cover of Vogue, you have to be Michelle Obama, you yeah. know, but to be a white woman on the cover of Vogue, you have to be like Blake Lively, who hasn't made a movie in five years talking about how she's starting to bake in her kitchen or whatever. Like that's... <laughs> That's the bar. That's the bar. The bars are very different. Yes. And yeah. And I, so um, our mutual friend, Shannon CF Rogers, whose book. Yay. Whose book came out today. And I started it and like page one gutted immediately. (laughs) Like I was, I had to put it down. I was like, well, I mean, it's, it's called I'd rather burn than bloom. It is so beautiful. I couldn't even wait for my mail order copy. I had to go to the bookstore and buy it and hold it in my hands. But Shannon talks about has educated me on a concept called paranoid writing, which is essentially when you are someone who is trying to write a story that is, you know, reflects the world you live in, which for those of us who are expansive people tend to have expansive worldviews, right? And expansive communities. And so I'm not going to sit down and write a book that is solely about white people because that's not the world that I live in. And yet- I don't need to take responsibility in every story to make sure every culture outside 
of the cultures that I know or am aware of or I'm a part of. And like, I can't possibly include all of it. Even if I'm writing a queer story, I can't include the entirety of the queer community. I mean, we're a fucking rainbow for a reason, right? Like there are so many different types of queer people, but we put that pressure on ourselves because it is imposed upon us in all the ways you just described. And that is what leads to what Shannon taught me about is called paranoid writing because you're trying so hard to be inclusive and to make sure you check all the boxes and like have all your bases covered. And frankly, it like doesn't make for a very good story because you're thinning out your characters, you're thinning out your narratives and really like redirecting yourself back to this place of what is the story I actually want to tell yeah, and, re- and releasing yourself from that burden that you just yeah. talked about, which is really, it's not coming from you anyway. It's coming from these other forces that are saying like, oh, you want, if you want diversity, you do it then. Like you put it in all, you know, it's not like, <laughs> so ju- I, yeah, that would, I guess, be my little sidebar message to writers out there. It's like, just remember the core of the story you want to tell and don't stress yourself out about, you know, being the perfect, radical, inclusive storyteller because you're not gonna you're not gonna be you're gonna disappoint somebody somewhere and that's fine and that's fine you know what and on that note you're fine (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we have two totally different podcasts here one is about striptease and hustlers yes and one is about like sexuality and representation in film and tv they're linked for sure (laughs) yeah absolutely linked for sure listeners you're welcome um (laughs) (laughs) two for one (laughs) It's a twofer. This is a twofer. Um, Thank you so much for joining us for a weirdest thing. Elizabeth, do you have anything you want to plug or anything before we head on out of here? God, anything I want to plug? My website isn't up. It's terrible that I'm trying to plug a website that doesn't exist, but it's going to be called wordnerd.com co. Um, I have the domain and I'm beautiful. Just, the, the website's almost published. She'll be published soon. Maybe by the time this episode comes out, maybe by the time this episode comes out. And it's really just, it's a writing services website that I'm offering, uh, whether you need proofreading or editorial feedback on your script or your manuscript or article or anything that you've written that you would like some eyes on. I got you. So wordnerd.co. Beautiful. Check out wordnerd.co co and check out shannon cf rogers debut novel i'd rather burn than bloom i got mine i pre-ordered it and it arrived in my inbox this morning and i was thrilled apparently there were only two copies at page one our local bookstore one of our local Mm -hmm. bookstores here Mm -hmm. go and check it out and if you love it make a lot of noise about it uh because shannon is an incredible incredible voice and we absolutely want to see and hear more from her elizabeth thanks so much for coming and chatting as always a beautiful, lovely, nuanced discussion about all of the things. All of the things. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pure delight. Yay. Yay. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review. Like I said last time, if you've made it to this, um, if you're listening on Spotify and you've made it to this point in the episode, you can go and on our main page, there'll be a little spot where you can give us a star rating. You can go ahead and rate us if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, rate and review super helps us out and is going to allow us to do some cool things with the podcast in the future. Until then, stay weird, stay curious, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. So listen, friends, we'll blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing.